Open up your Bibles to the book of Jude as we continue this study, and we will have it concluded, if not today, then by next Sunday. We are looking at the remainder of verses 17 through 19. If you're looking in any of the outlines I sent, it's the outline entitled, Beloved, Remember. I want to start by reading that text, and then where we left off last time was actually uh, about halfway down the second page with the, uh, the Henry Morris quote. Jude, verses 17 through 19 says, But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time, who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, which we talked last time as being defined as self-centered in an animalistic type manner, having not the spirit. Now it's significant that he puts this here in verse 17 because we can't separate verse 17, 18, and 19 from the rest of Jude. So what did he just talk about before all this? He went through the ungodly portion of this book and he talked about all the ways and all the hurt from without and from within that are dangers to the church, that are dangers to the Christians that he is writing to. These same Christians that we've said over and over and over again, he's exhorting to earnestly contend for the faith. And then he says, Beloved, remember. Remember those who have gone before you. Remember the hurt that they had experienced and that the focus was always on Christ Jesus, that the focus was always on the ministry. And like we talked last Sunday, Paul later writes of uh, encouragements to those in the ministry to keep their eyes and hearts set on Christ. Uh, if you weren't here for that, I'd strongly encourage you to read through Romans 12 and really pray over it from beginning to end because it, Romans 12 from the very first two verses reveals that it's talking about something different than what man inherently knows to do. Be ye transformed, that chapter says. And by the end of it, it talks about feeding and giving drink to your enemies. That's not in our nature. Boy, our nature is quite the opposite, is it not? Let us make enemies. Let everyone toe the line or fall behind. This is the, the mantra of the Roman Catholic Church. Toe the line or death was what they did at the turn of the millennial. There right after the Lord had passed, not even 300 years removed. Let us not do the same. Jude gives encouragement to remember the apostles. Remember what has gone on before. Remember what this is all about. Remember Jesus. We have so many commandments that remind us to remember Jesus. And the, the book of Deuteronomy for the Old Testament is a reminder of all the goodness that God had shown towards his people. There's a, a constant theme throughout this book to remember. Why? Because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. As we look at our marred flesh, we're constantly remembering mistakes and bad moves and injuries and hurts and heartaches and sorrows. The Spirit doesn't have to remember such things. We need to be mindful of the apostles. Now, we did cover half this outline, so if you are following the outline, we'll jump down to what uh, Henry Morris is saying there. He writes of a separation which we find in verse 19 in our text. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit. This separation, he says, apparently refers to the proliferation of divisions and cultic offshoots from the true church in the last days. These have, these have indeed multiplied explosively, 
in the past two generations especially. And I got a little reminder there for you that Matthew Henry didn't write this in 2023. Uh, the trail of the blood that we rolled out here in the middle of the chapel a while back, most of those new offshoots came about between 15 and 1800. So this is still 200 or so years before us, 200, 250, 300 years before us. The, there are now literally thousands, he says, of so-called Christians and quasi-Christian denominations, sects, cults, and movements in the world, and the vast majority of which have been formed for other than biblical reasons. Um, probably about 95% of the time it's over some hurt, and it magnifies man rather than God. It's really hard, if your focus is to magnify God, to stray away from him because it keeps you humble, it keeps you aware, it keeps you from forgetting what you've been forgiven of. These apostolic writings that Jude is pointing back to here were forewarnings for the times ahead for the readers of this letter, and even for us today. He talks about those selfish mockers that Jude spoke of, that they sought to turn, as we saw in verse 4, the grace of God into lasciviousness, and they sought to deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. John Trapp wrote that these are those who fleer, fleer, not a word we use unless we're talking about ball cards these days, but it means to laugh impudently. These are those who laugh impudently when they should fear. They laugh at God. They laugh at judgment. They laugh at holy living. They laugh at those who would seek to live a life for something other than themselves. They scorn the word of God and its teachings. He says here that they were slave to an animalistic way, their lusts like the dog foaming to return to his own vomit. They separate themselves for their own self-gain. Jude in our text uses the word sensual, which points to characteristics our society is very familiar with. It is sometimes referred to in scripture as the natural man. Self-centeredness, self-image, self-esteem, self-love. Anybody remember selfies? That happened in our lifetime as well. What is Facebook for most if not a self-proclamation of one's own beauty and success? Look again to what Paul told the Ephesians in Acts chapter 20, verse 30. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them, after themselves. They weren't, he's not warning of men who are coming to please God and draw men to follow God or disciple after God. He's warning of men who will do the opposite, who will seek to have others follow them. The Spirit of God would have men and women speak of and exalt only Christ. That's the will of the Spirit. And the will of the Spirit is the will of the Father. Should you be a part of a local church that one day apostatizes itself from the word of God and its teachings, flee, as Joseph did, of Potiphar's wife. Consider Galatians chapter 6, verse 8. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. The final phrase of verse 19 says, having not the Spirit. And in Romans 8, verse 9, we read, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, which is what Jude is referencing here, he is none of his. 
Brother Milburn wrote that a regenerated man has three parts, and we see that in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on to say that man's spirit is the recipient of the Holy Spirit, which unite him to God. John chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, Jesus answered Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit, and the Spirit should rule the soul. Now, if we look at the remaining verses here of Jude, um, this last outline is entitled, The Building Up of Yourselves. Jude doesn't leave without encouragement. Uh, There's a lot of strong admonition, a, a portion on remembrance. And then he speaks here of edification, of a building up of yourselves. Uh, there's nothing worse than being in a rough situation and having everyone come around you and say, this is really rough, really hard, really horrible, not sure how you'll make it. Some folks have done that to Brother Hilly. Does, does he not know? Does he not know how hard life could be? And we have a promise of God that in this life we shall suffer persecution. So for me to tell you you shall suffer persecution, if I'm not just quoting Christ and pointing to Christ, is essentially beating a dead horse. You know that you'll have persecution. Jude isn't just writing to them of trouble and encouraging them to earnestly contend for the faith, but he's also looking to build them up. And in verse 20 we read, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty and dominion and power, both now and forever. If you're here today and you don't know who he's talking about in those final two verses, he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ the entire time. It is he that is able to keep you from falling. It is he that is able to present you faultless. It is he that could be, would be, your only Savior. Your only way to the kingdom, your only way to the Father, is by Christ Jesus. Consider what Paul wrote to his beloved Ephesian friends in chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. He says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God. What a welcoming sound. Fellow citizens. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Remember them, Jude says. Remember them, because you're built upon them as well. The foundation, the firm foundation beneath all this, this solid bedrock is Christ Jesus. But you are building on a foundation that the apostles once built upon. We're building, building upon a glorious finished product that is the Lord's, as we talked about last Sunday. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy, an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Uh, I don't know how many have ever done construction. I have not, so I'm quoting another preacher who had that I heard 
uh, preached this text. Uh, it was actually the pastor we had in Temperance before I was called there. And he said, the cornerstone is what everything is measured against. This is why we're encouraged for holy living. This is why the encouragement reads, be ye holy, for I am holy. So if the cornerstone is what we're all measured against, then every brick that's laid after the corner is measured this way and that way by that cornerstone. And everything is not leveled to itself, but everything is leveled to that cornerstone. We need to think of Christ Jesus to be our cornerstone. It is what we are measured to. It is what we are to adhere to and who it is we are to follow. Uh, otherwise, you're Sidurgians or Cochrillians. But we are Christians. We are to be Christ-like. We are measured against Christ Jesus. And if we're not, then we are bastards and not sons. Because God is the one doing the measuring. He is the one that decides what it is we are measured against. Now, from our text, we see the phrase, building up yourselves. And on the surface, we might feel warnings of pride or self-reliance, which would, of course, contradict the previous verses because that pointed to more of a reprobate mind or an animalistic uh, sensibility. So that we know that Jude is not making that reference here. We are to build up ourselves. And I have three points. We are to build up ourselves by praying in the Holy Spirit by possessing the love of God, and by presenting the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. And yes, that last part is the outward part, probably what we would insist is the most important part, but you're not going to do that last part without the other two. We are to build up ourselves by praying in the Holy Spirit. What we are called to build is our most holy faith. Well, that's a, an interesting phrase, and I don't want to blow by that. What does that look like? What does your most holy self look like? If you were to look in the mirror, do you see your most holy self? I'm not talking sinlessly perfect, but do you see your most holy self? One who's doing their absolute best and for which their best is good enough. Is that who you see looking back at you in the mirror? If not, you're not as close to God as you should be. Maybe your understanding's off. Maybe you're distracted. Keep looking in the mirror. What else do you see? Do you see trinkets? Do you see uh, illustrations to point to your beauty rather than God's? Men, I'm not just talking to the ladies. Sorry, Steve, I picked a day where you're all, you're all gussied up. I'm not picking on you, brother. But understand, we all do it. Our mannerisms, our speech, our clothing, our decorations, whatever it is. Do we point to Christ Jesus in everything that we do? What we are called to build is our most holy faith, not just an acceptable faith, not just, okay, once saved, always saved, I'm done, now it's time to wait for the rapture or death, whichever comes first. No, but a most holy faith. There's an encouragement in these three words that this is something we're striving for, not something we're settling for. A most holy faith is a faith of growth, a faith of constant pilgrimage, away from where we were found and toward the way we are headed. And where are you headed this morning? Is the kingdom of heaven your final destination? Start putting on the garments then, beloved. If that's where we're going, why are we still wearing the garments of this world? Why are we still decked out in the fashionable trends that this world has set for us rather than pursuing Christ? 
In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he made clear that growth cannot come from abiding where we used to abide, which is the flesh. He says in Ephesians 4.23, which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts. This is his description of the flesh. It is corrupt according to deceitful lusts. And where does war come from, if not from the striving of our own lusts, the other New Testament writers say. Insanity, as we know, is doing what we have always done and expecting a different result. It doesn't work. Doing what we've always done will get us the same distance and the same triumphs and the same victories we have always gotten. Are you living your most holy life? Do you have a most holy faith? Growth comes from doing something new. Regeneration gave us that new nature which to pursue. Paul says in Ephesians 4, verses 20 through 24, But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that, ye put in, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. A striving toward a most holy faith will inevitably put off this old man and put on the new. The writer of Hebrews said in chapter 10, verse 23, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. This word for true... Uh, is a Greek word, alithenos, which means that uh, it means that which has not only the name and resemblance, but the real nature corresponding to the name. In other words, it is a heart of faith, not just a dressed up faith, not just a heart that says all the right words and makes all the right motions and sings at just the right volume where they're not heard, but they're heard enough. What is it that God has called for you to do? Die unto yourself, bear your cross, and follow me. All of those things are necessary to follow him. All of those things are required that we might have a most holy faith. The Holy Spirit enables us to do that which Jude writes here. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, we read in our text. Do you recall the purpose for praying? It's not that God would change his mind. Uh, again, I can read the definition of insanity, but I feel like reading the definition of insanity twice is illustrative of enough of what insanity is. Praying that God will change his mind is fruitless. He doesn't change. But when we pray, we should pray that we would be changed to be more like him, to be closer to him. The closer we are to him, the stronger our faith is built. Five times in the New Testament, the writer's the writers mention receiving utterance from the Holy Spirit. And this word in the Greek is impronounceable, I'm convinced. And it is not a word of everyday speech, but for one, uh, but one rather belonging to dignified and elevated discourse. Belonging to dignified and elevated discourse. That's what this utterance is. Guided from God that it might pull the lost out of the fire. Read Romans 12 again, beloved. Gifted of God that it could provide comfort to the hurting. And granted of God that it would intercede for our infirmities. Secondly, to build the building up of ourselves, for the building up of ourselves, we must possess the love of God. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to read verses 8 through 21. Um, 
uh, a little behind baseball, I will be referencing Ephesians 4 in our main service message. So if you have a bookmark you want to drop in there, uh, I, w- I wouldn't be mad at you at all. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 through 21 reads as follows. Unto me who am less than the least of all saints in this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. He's already speaking of his qualifications here in possessing the love of God. In verse 9, And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. To the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church manifold wisdom of God. According to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Wherefore, I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom this whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that ye being rooted and grounded in love, you might mark that verse in the next one, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church, by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end, Amen. If you're marking verses, verses 17 through 19 are so precious. This speaks of the love of Christ, and it doesn't just speak of a love that can't be understood. His prayer is that it could be understood, and and so much so that the breadth, the length, the depth, the height, that we're blown away continuously by the compassion that has been shown unto us by Christ Jesus. And then it's followed by one of my favorite verses in the Bible, verse 20. Now unto him that is able, hear me. If you hear nothing else today, hear this. Christ Jesus is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. So what you need to understand here is this is not say, this this should not be immediately attached to James's verse. I believe it's James that talks about us asking amiss. It's a separate thing. Even if you ask accurately, Christ Jesus is able to do exceeding abundantly more than you have asked for. And I have seen it. The things that Brother Hilly and Brother Pierce and I prayed for in December that we watched come to fruition there, going back and seeing him now. He spent seven weeks in the hospital, beloved. The bill, I won't tell you the amount, but the amount that they owe for all those surgeries and for all that stay, the workman's comp is helping with and all that, but the amount of human finances wrapped into the care to keep this man alive. And he's not only alive, but preaching today. Christ Jesus is able to do exceeding abundantly above all you ask or think. If you ask for your lost loved ones to be saved, if not, you're asking amiss. But if you have, just because it's been 20 years... Don't think he's suddenly not able. The time perhaps has not come yet, but he is able. He is able. What a thing to know that Christ Jesus could drag a Catholic boy 
out of the Roman Catholic Church into a Baptist church. There's some facts you need to adhere to here, beloved. I was not drug out of there kicking and screaming by a Baptist pre preacher or minister. I was not drug out of there by human beings that loved me greatly. I was drug out of there by the Spirit of God himself and brought to the truth and set free. That is the wonder of what he is able to do. Do not limit him. You limit yourself. Do not try to interpret this differently. The scripture's very clear. He's going to do way more and can do way more than you could even think to ask for. This is a mighty God. One not to be tempted. One not to be mocked. If we had a true understanding of his sovereignty, we wouldn't even dare think to do such things turn over to first peter chapter 2 again with a focus on possessing the love of god consider what peter says in first peter chapter 2 starting in verse 11 right in the middle of the chapter you know chapter breaks came with translation but right in the middle of the chapter we see in verse 11 dearly beloved i beseech you as strangers and pilgrims Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. It's the only verse I didn't read last week when we were talking about good works that you should really mark and make sure that you know. How important is setting a pattern and maintaining a pattern or habit of good works like we talked last Sunday? Is this important? that the lost would see and glorify God. That is the profitability factor that we talked about last week. Verse 13, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are, are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing ye might put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. So many rabbit trails coming out of verse 15. But beloved, even in our Baptist circles, even in our sister churches, maybe even amongst ourselves, there is such ignorance that could be put to rest, that could be silenced by a faithfulness to God, by a doing of His will, by a being of no reputation. So many calls that we've gotten from sister churches that are hurting over things they will not forgive. And this is the story of God's church in 2023. We don't know forgiveness. So many have called in the last three or four days asking what ugliness has happened that you haven't shared. There is none. Okay, sure, sure. But you can, you can open up to me. Uh, and these brethren might be listening. I'm not mocking you. But understand that there was a time when a pastor would leave one calling for another and not fill the house with enemies. But it's unbelievable in our day and age. There are, there are literally, there's literally no one who believes it. They're watching to see if I will come up with some negative reason to not be here. They're watching to see if you come up with some negative reason for me to not be here. Glorify God first. Keep your eyes on Christ. Rumors will run their, run their life. Rumors are what they've always been. 
But beloved, it does, we don't have to have ugliness. We choose ugliness. We've been commanded to forgive. We've been commanded to honor God. For so is the will of God that with well-doing ye might put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. What a horrendous thing. To suffer for that which we didn't do? I will not stand for it, the flesh says. The old man says, I did no wrong. I will not suffer such affliction. What if Jesus said that? What if Jesus said that? As he went to the cross innocent, as he suffered all those things, as not a man guilty of any of it, what if he had said, I will not take this punishment. I will not take this beating. I will not take this humiliation. You and I would only know misery. We're going to look at the subject this morning of without Jesus. Consider that, beloved. Consider where we'd be without Jesus. Jesus. 